And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I love the Raiders. Most of all, I love the win. You are now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network, our season recap edition. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Wint, Deshaun Reed, ready to hand out State of the Nation awards. We all did some voting, and uh, we've got some virtual hardware, I guess, to hand out. Uh, the Raiders finish 8-8, eight and eight, and uh, we'll see what this offseason holds. But uh, we've got to put a, put a little bow on the season, right? Yeah. Yes, it's a gift. It's a gift to everyone. All right, let's get right into it. We're, we'll take some questions. We'll get into some other topics, but we, we're not going to make you wait too long to uh, to hear the awards. And we'll start at the bottom uh, and work our way up to MVP. We'll give Vic Tafer some naming rights on this one. The uh, the Warm Bum Award, <laughs> uh, the term that Vic uh, crafted uh, as Paul Gunther went from getting his bum a little warm to uh, to getting really hot and eventually fired. I think there's a little bit of a warm sensation on his bum right now, probably, I think. (laughs) This is a player or coach or personnel member that is on the hot seat in 2021. And that could mean a couple of things. That could mean they could be, you know, literally on the hot seat in this offseason. Could be somebody that we think may get cut, may lose their job. Or it could be somebody that will enter the 2021 season likely on the hot seat, could enter the hot seat. The voting was really wide-ranging, and so... The winner here is not somebody that had a bad 2020, but it's the nature of uh, the position. Derek Carr wins the Warm Bum for 2021 award. Narrow voting. He had five total votes. We did a, the four of us all voted, you know, standard 3-2-1 voting. We, we all picked three guys at each one here. Uh, Trent Brown finished second. And then a four-way tie for third place between John Gruden, Mike Mayock, Tyrell Williams, and Jonathan Abram. I think Brown, Williams, Abram. And then Joyner was, uh, LaMarcus Joyner was right behind him. Between Joyner, Williams, and Brown, I, I don't know that any of those guys will be back next season. I do enjoy that Tyrell Williams up uh, chilling in Oregon, and all of a sudden he's uh, third place in a, a warm bum category. He must be surprised by this. but I, I don't think he's surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I took it to mean who'd be in the hot seat next year. If they all make the playoffs next year, if they struggle next year, who would be the scapegoat kind of? And to me, the only logical guy I could think of would be, was Derek Carr. So I think if they don't make the playoffs next year, I think the finger will probably point to him. This year is about the defense, and obviously that's Miller issues, but um, I would think next year it would all come back on him if they don't make the playoffs uh, again. Yeah, I was more so thinking about like who might not even be on the team next year, and, and that's why I picked Trent Brown for mine. You know, He's only played in 16 games for him over two years, and I think he's collected around $36 million. You know, he's set to make $14 million next year, which isn't, you know, for, for an elite right tackle, that's – a pretty good deal to get get one for fourteen million. It's just a matter of if they believe in him being healthy enough to play up to the level that that would justify that amount. And you know, I don't know the answer to that, but 
you know, they determine it's not this offseason. They can cut them without having any of their money on the books. I don't know if it actually happens because, you know, they don't have a available replacement on the roster and the guys in free agency who they could theoretically go get would probably cost more than $14 million. So it could be a situation where, you know, they bring him back for 2021. And, then, you know, I would imagine if, if 2021 Trent Brown isn't, you know, you know what he's supposed to be, then, then they'll move on at that point. My pick was Jonathan Abram because his 2020 was so bad that, you know, even as a first round draft pick, if he doesn't show massive improvement, you know, with his reads and doing his job and tackling, I I can't imagine that they they give him another season just because of how undisciplined and how that lack of uh, discipline has hurt this team and will continue to hurt this team if he he doesn't get those issues fixed. I mean, he's a first round pick, I think. He, he get, I mean, he'd get another season. They're not going to cut him, I don't think, before his uh, his four-year rookie deal is up. But uh, there would be the discussion of whether or not you pick up his fifth-year option. That's going to be interesting when they hit that. Uh, I guess that would be next offseason after all these guys, uh, their three first-round picks have their third year. We'll see how many of those first-year options between Josh Jacobs, uh, Cleveland Furl, and Jonathan Abram they pick up because uh, that, that could be quite expensive if they pick up all three. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I went, I went with Trent Brown just – you know, kind of going with the approach of, of the guy this offseason, you know, in terms of their significant players who I think, um, you know, will be uh, certainly under scrutiny. And we'll see. I mean, you know, we talked about on the last show that the price tag for him does go down next year. And that makes you consider wanting to keep him. But, you know, when you hear Gruden talk about, you know, being disappointed and him, him supposed to be their LeBron and then not having him available, uh, we know how Gruden, when, when he kind of emotionally checks out of something like that, that it's hard for him to turn around. So I think Mike Mayock come 2021 is, is a certainly a guy that you have to look at as well, though. I mean, with the way that this rookie class this year worked out, um, you know, they haven't got much out of him. If they, if they, if that 2020 draft class doesn't produce again in 2021, and let's say there's not immediate dividends out of the the 2021 class. Um, we all know that the the free agent class didn't work out. It might be that you know John Gruden is just as much to blame, if not more, for all of that. But I mean, the reason John Gruden has a GM here with the Raiders is that's a guy that he can uh, put the blame on, right? Yeah, I think if they have another bad year as far as free agents go and rookies um, and the draft picks, it, it won't be John Gruden taking taking the fall. It would be Mike Mayock. So I could definitely see that. I think I had him on my list also under under Derek as a potential uh, you know uh, guy, warm bum slash scapegoat if they don't make the playoffs next year. So um, yeah, definitely they need a much better um, success rate this off season. Yeah, I think Vic, you went with. Uh... A tie, a first place tie between Derek Carr and Mike Mayock. So uh, you did not fill out your entire ballot. You put through all your votes on those two guys at first place. Um, all right, let's move on to the next award. Uh, this is the last of, of the downer awards before we start getting a little more positive. Um, this is the biggest disappointment. And uh, you kind of say it's a similar award. The voting was fairly similar. I know Vic took it very general with his voting. He went safety play, linebacking play, defensive line play, basically just voted for the entire defense. Unfortunately, because he was the only one that voted that way, uh, those those did not uh, crack the top three. But uh, your winner of the biggest disappointment award, I don't think this will surprise many people, uh, is Trent Brown. Second place, Corey Littleton. Third place, Malik Collins. Yeah, I think I actually I put Trent Brown for this one, but I kind of think I might flip to Littleton because... I think with Brown, 
I tend not to like dang guys too, like too much for getting injured or you know COVID this year with Trent Brown obviously was a big thing that took out a lot of his season. But with Littleton, like with him playing the majority of the games and starting the majority of the games, the fall off at least when Brown was out there, he still kind of looked like Trent Brown. He was pretty good. Like Littleton went from looking like one of the better linebackers in the league for two years with the Rams to being pretty terrible this year with the Raiders. Um, just when factor in how many tackles he missed and he wasn't good in coverage and he didn't have any success as a blitzer or a pass rusher like he was just pretty much ineffective across the board you know as the highest paid player on the defense and you know going into the season you know we all were on board with the notion that the Raiders would finally have some competent linebacker play between him and Nick Kwiatkowski you know Kwiatkowski held up his end of the bargain I think and Obviously, Nicholas Moreau was a, was a nice surprise, but but Littleton was the big one that just really dragged that the entire position group down. They were really relying on him to be one of the better linebackers on on the, in the league this season, and, and he pretty much got the complete opposite of that. Yeah, I think Littleton. I mean, I think I had linebacker in play second on my list. I think he's part of that. Uh, I think that would be the uh, probably been a better selection by my part. But for me, the safeties. That, I mean, my eyes bled how bad they were the last two months of the year. So I just uh, I can't get that sight out of my head of. Just the bad angles, bad tackling, just bad assignment reading, just everything. I mean that. I mean, if they hadn't got lucky the last you know play last minute against the Broncos, I mean that ninety-two yard touchdown, but would be all we're talking about. Just how how bad that coverage was, and execution, everything about it. After they had not learned a lesson from previous mistakes, so to me the safety play was just uh, abysmal, and I can't. Uh, I give Corey Littleton a pass based based on that. If we gave Littleton the two points uh, for linebacking play that you voted, we let Tashawn flip flop, and and he had Trent Brown one and Corey Littleton two. If we flip flop those, that would uh that would bump Corey Littleton up into uh, the award winner. If we uh if we did that, there was a uh, we maybe we would just call him co winner. Yes, yeah, so they both get the uh, with the grand slam breakfast at Denny's. That's the that's the prize. Congratulations! <laughs> you can't flip flop your vote in the middle of a podcast. That's voter fraud. Can't do that. <laughs> you can't take this award for Trent Brown in the middle of the pod. No. No, I, I voted Trent Brown, and uh, I call it Malik Collins was my was my second biggest disappointment, just because the defensive line was terrible as far as putting pressure on, and Collins was supposed to be that key to the defense, but he had zero sacks and zero tackles for losses. So just you know he brought nothing to the table so yeah that, that was my second guy and and third was abram which plays into the safety play category that vic voted for yeah my first place vote was Corey littleton um without flip-flopping uh, for kind of the reasons that tishan said i mean he was disappointing for different reasons availability reasons and that's still disappointing but there's different reasons and when, when a guy is out there and obviously Littleton did end up with with COVID as well and missed some time but we just saw when he was on the field he wasn't impactful and when you spend that kind of money on a guy who um, was one of the better linebackers in the league previously it's uh, that's that's a pretty big disappointment he was supposed to be a big part of this defense and he wasn't but let's get a little more positive the award for the biggest positive surprise I'm going to start with uh the one vote that uh, that came in, uh, it, it's we'll get honorable mention. Only got one vote, but we we do have to start by mentioning the caramel corn in the press box. Anybody want to guess who voted for that? It wasn't me. It wasn't me, but that's a good one. <laughs> I like to eat. That's been documented. I like to uh, snacks are important during the game, and uh, that was a big addition to the uh, press box meal from the previous uh, Coliseum days. I like caramel corn, and uh, they had a lot of it, so it was good. That was definitely. Uh, 
Nothing better watching a football game in an empty stadium than with uh, with caramel popcorn. Sour patches were a nice touch. All right. Well, the winner, and this will not surprise anybody, I think. Other, you know, it, he was a surprise this season, but not a surprise award winner. Uh, Nelson Aguilar got 11 out of a possible 12 votes. Uh, who's the only one that did not vote him as number one was Ted. Ted uh, went with Derek Carr's aggression as number one. But Aguilar picking up 11 out of a possible 12 votes uh, to win the biggest positive surprise. And I mean, that's pretty obvious. I mean, he was a guy that was supposed to be the fourth receiver and ended up being uh, pretty darn good. Yeah, Ted Hayden, man, he took his unanimous award. He was number two. He was number two. To Derek Carr's aggression? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, what, what was third? I went, what was third place in Ted's ballot? Now I got to know. Let's see. Nicholas yeah, Moore. I tried to give the defense a little, you know, a little positivity. So Nicholas Morrill's play was surprising. So Derek Carr's aggression ended up finishing in a tie for second place because of Ted's uh, first first place vote because Aguilar was so unanimous. Uh, otherwise, Derek Carr's aggression, along with Denzel Good, finishing a tie for second place. Uh, and then uh, behind them, uh, another tie for the, I guess, fourth place, Devontae Booker, Cleland Furl, and Nicholas Morrow, and then Carmel Corn of the press box. Yeah, I mean, Denzel Good was huge. Obviously, you look at guys who impacted wins and losses. He definitely was one of those guys for them. I wonder what he gets on the uh, on the free agent market, but uh, he definitely was a big, big, uh, big reason for some of their wins early on in the season. All right, Rookie of the Year. We have a tie, a legitimate tie. We're not we're not turning this into a tie. Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs, really, basically by default, are tied for the Rookie of yeah, the there's, Year. There's nobody else. <laughs> no, I'm just surprised, like, Arnett. John, John, John Simpson, I gave it to Ruggs, just, I mean, he wasn't terribly productive, but he did do some things, and he was out there more than Arnett. You know, Arnett, uh, Arnett got first place votes from Ted and from Vic. Although, Ted, Ted's ballot does say, um, David Arnett. Oh, the um. The um heads, <laughs> that's always key in ballots. With Arnett, like, he only played in eight games, I think, and I think, like, half of those games, he left the game early. I'm pretty sure he finished the season like allowing a completion percentage of like 70% or, or higher, uh, which isn't great. Like, not to say that Ruggs was that good, but he was an okay, you know, receiving option when he was out there. That's obviously not that inspiring, but it kind of speaks to the production they got from this rookie class. But for me, Arnett just wasn't wasn't out there enough. But I did have number two just because, I mean, outside of John Simpson, there really wasn't any other rookie that had a substantial impact. Yeah, Damon Arnett played nine games, started seven, allowed a 78.1% completion percentage and a passer rating of 106.9. He had 13 missed tackles for a missed tackle percentage of 34.2%. So you're saying the bar was low. The bar was low. That's what we're saying. I, I think uh, the only reason I gave him the edge over Ruggs was because I, I, once in a while... I could see some flashes, some signs of what a potential number one corner looks like. He definitely has some stickiness to his coverage at times. I like his aggression. So definitely very raw. Definitely didn't play as much as he should have. But once in a while, he looked to me like he looked apart. Whereas Ruggs, I have to really strain my eyes to see at this point. I think he definitely needs to have a huge offseason. Uh, I'm not sold that he can be the number one receiver, that they, which obviously you want when you think in the first guy taken, the first receiver taken in the draft. So I think um, – I think there's a longer road ahead for him than it is for Annette as far as being maybe an impact number one guy. I agree with Vic's reasoning for why I, I picked Arnett over Ruggs, but I mean, one thing you can say about Ruggs is he did affect how defenses lined up against the offense, so I wouldn't mind 
if Ruggs was number one or if Arnett was number two is, you know, they didn't really establish themselves this season. I think it's fair. They split the award. I think Ruggs gets the hash browns and the toast. And then uh, <laughs> Arnett gets the sausage and the eggs and they can each have an OJ or a coffee. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Now it's time for the Defensive Player of the Year award. Drum roll, please. And the winner. Absolutely nobody. All right, next category. A fourth-year linebacker. Undrafted at a Division III Greenville University. Nicholas Morrow. Nicholas Morrow is our winner. Um, I-, I voted for him number one. Vic voted for him number one. He did not make Ted's ballot. Wow. So Ted, yeah. uh, Ted does not respect Nicholas Morrow. Even though he had Morrow as one of his positive surprises, he does not vote him for Defensive Player of the Year. So we're going to have to talk about the disrespect from Ted. Voter um, fraud. He's a guy yeah, that's, that's <laughs> hey, I kept all my votes the same throughout this uh, podcast. All right. But Nicholas Morrow, I, I mean... It's 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 a winner by default. Second place was a three-way tie between Trayvon Mullen, Nick Witkowski, and Max Crosby. Uh, fifth place, Jonathan Hankins with three votes, and one vote came in for Klee. Wow, I was the only guy who voted for Klee? That's amazing. I thought he was the only guy you clearly could say was improved on this defense from last year. Wow, shocking, shocking. He had, like, what, one and a half sacks this year? He had, he had a good amount of pressures, but, like, <laughs> he, had, he wasn't. He had two. And he only he game, wasn't that available. That was it. Again, but, like, but, no, I think definitely Nicholas Moreau because 
it was really brief, but early on, Kwiatkowski had that pectoral injury that he was playing through, so he wasn't quite himself. And then when Littleton was out with, with COVID, uh, he really stepped up and uh, he even took over. Like he took some of Littleton's snaps when they went to the four-two-five. So if it hasn't been, hadn't been for him, I don't. I really don't know what they would have done at the linebacker position. They would have to have well, Kyle Wilbur or something like that out there. I think he played pretty well. Be interesting to see if they bring him back. While researching him, I found out he's also was born in St. Louis, so he's. He's my favorite player on the defense now if they do bring him back. I mean, for me, the reason I went Moro is like he's the one guy that you were like, okay, this guy is playing better than I expected him to play. I mean, he he stepped in and, you know, for a defense that wasn't getting anything out of their linebacker position, he, you know, his blitzes, when he blitzed, like he was actually getting home on him. He was, he was making plays. Obviously, we're talking about a low bar, but um, I thought he played well. And um, for a guy that, you know, he weren't counting on to be the best defensive player on this team when the season started. I voted for Jonathan Hankins. Just, he, he played all 17 games. You know, he's not a flashy choice, but when you watch it, he played 17, I mean, not 17 sorry, six, 17 weeks, but I mean, 16 games, Next year. he just battled inside and this run defense was bad, but trust me without Jonathan Hankins, it would have been even worse. I mean, he was taking on double teams. He was penetrating. I just thought he was battling like against the Colts. He was battling his tail off. You know, nobody else on the defense was, but Hank was the only guy that 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 flashed. So that was my choice uh, for defensive player of the year. I was asking about uh, about Nick Morrow. I think um, I love his comments the other day about the accountability. How there wasn't any from the players and coaches. I thought that was a bold statement and a very accurate. And I wonder if that was him kind of saying goodbye. Kind of, he's you know now he's going to be a uh, unrestricted free agent this off season. So I wonder if he's thinking this could be it for him. He had a nice run here, definitely, but I could see where he might want to explore what else is out there as far as other options, other teams, other systems. So uh, to me, I like those comments a lot, but it kind of I wonder if that was him saying goodbye. All right, guys, MVP time. And I'll be honest, this one surprised me that this is the one I um, I thought Aguilar for biggest surprise might be uh, unanimous. This is the one I actually was most expecting to be unanimous. Darren Waller, of course, is the Raiders MVP. He finished with 10 total votes uh, to win the award, 10 out of a possible 12. Derek Carr finishes second with seven votes. And uh, what the, the reason that uh, one of the reasons that uh, he was not unanimous, Waller was not unanimous, is Vic Tafer's first place vote went to Nelson Aguilar. I mean, I love I love Darren Waller. Obviously, he's a, you know, one of the best tight ends in football and a guy who's getting better every year. But to me, in terms of their offense and what happened with the injuries, and I just think Aguilar stepped up, like you mentioned earlier, made a lot of big, big plays in the games they won. I think definitely was a guy who kind of Carr looked to in big moments. I think he delivered time and time again. So while Waller definitely is your best player, I think that, uh, to me, Aguilar was the most valuable player as far as stepping up into a huge hole and making big plays and, and key moments. And, um, yeah, I think uh, I, don't, I don't regret it. I'll make that vote again. I'd vote Aguilar first again. Uh, I won't change. The other person that kept uh, Waller from being unanimous is Ted's love of Derek Carr's aggressiveness and, and just Derek Carr. <laughs> was, it was, was Derek Carr's aggression again? Was no, first? it was, just, it Derek was Carr. just Derek Carr. No, this one was just oh, Derek okay. Carr. Yeah, I, I went Derek Carr just because, you know, positional importance, but Darren Waller was too. I mean, I just think, you know, if you were to remove Darren Waller from the offense, it'd be the offense would be affected a lot more than if you remove Nelson Aguilar from the offense. You know, just because of the the way he dictates coverages, he's Derek Carr's favorite target. You know, underneath, he's not just a deep threat uh, as well. So, yeah, I just thought he was 
more important to Aguilar, but I, I can see your, your point with Aguilar too. I disagree. I would say if Aguilar's not there, then I think they definitely do bracket coverage and Waller again like they did last year down the stretch. I think Waller would have a much harder time getting those catches if Aguilar's not uh, down the field making the defense uh, respect his, uh, his speed and, and playmaking ability. Yeah, I think Aguilar's probably getting locked up if Waller ain't on the field. So. You know, like if Foster Moreau or Jason Witten was a starting tight end, like no, is no like, and I think for me, uh, Waller. Jason Witten's a leader, man. He's probably, he's a he's a leader, dude. I don't know why you're dogging Jason Four million Witten. Million dollars in leadership, man. Come on. I think he is probably the less the player on the on the offense who's who's the least dependent on somebody else. Like I think it was only one game, but like when Marcus Mariota came in, uh, Waller still had a a really good game that game. Um, I know it was a loss, but he was really productive. So I think that. Carr may be a little bit more reliant on Waller. I think Waller would be one of the best tight ends in the league, no matter which team he was on, just because of how good he is. But I'm not sure Carr would fare as well without Waller on the field. I just think he was the consistent driving force of the offense all year. I think you could say, I don't remember where I had him ranked or if I had him ranked at all, but I think uh, kind of an honorable mention for this would be Rodney Hudson on the offensive line, especially this year with all the injuries they had up front. I think he was the only offensive lineman to play every snap this year even though the unit wasn't elite like we expected it to be it was still really good in terms of pass blocking and run blocking um just overall for the season i think they were top 10 in both of those categories so i think rodney hudson deserves a little bit of a nod too yeah hudson finished fourth in the voting he got two votes one from you and one from ted uh and to round out the voting, I gave a third place vote to Josh Jacobs and then Vic. Uh, we, we get we have a half point each to Vic's uh, third place votes, which went to Greg Williams and Vic Fangio. <laughs> what a smart ass. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Williams, Vic Fangio, Carmel Cord. All right, guys, we're going to take a few questions here before we uh, get out of here and move on to the offseason. Um, and we'll start with a, a hot topic from Thursday uh, just to, to uh, just why not? If Deshaun Watson becomes available, do you see the Raiders going after him? We've got to stick with the time-honored tradition of any big-name available player uh, Raiders fans wanting to trade for him. Do you see the Raiders going after him, possibly trading Carr at the same time? Defense is definitely the priority, but can you pass up a great QB like Watson if he is available? I mean, if Watson's really available, the the people that are going to line up for him is going to be pretty long. The cost is going to be steep. If only Bill O'Brien was still there, <laughs> man. There the price anymore, would be though. like a second rounder. <laughs> You're not getting a discount for him anymore. <laughs> it might be three, four first-round picks for Deshaun Watson. You're talking about a quarterback that top five quarterback. The numbers that he put up this season are just ridiculous. And he had a bottom-tier 30th-ranked or 32nd-ranked rushing offense to go with it. He had you know, a weird coaching situation and he, he was still able to put those numbers up. So yeah, I mean, you know, just because he requests trade doesn't mean they're, they're going to do it and, and they'd be crazy to do it. Yeah. That ain't happening. Yeah. I'll also pass. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With Gruden being more offense-minded, why does the defensive scheme matter to him so much? 
is this normal for head coaches or is it partially ego? And he's, of course, referring to Gruden saying he would like them to stay in a 4-3 scheme as they look for a new D.C. I don't know if it matters that much, but I think in terms of they look at the roster they've built and they've kind of planned around being a 4-3 defense, so you want to, you don't want to change course that much at this point. I think um, he likes the big guys in the middle. He likes you know have the, the big guys in the trenches, both on both sides of the ball. So, I mean, obviously if some guy blew him away and the coordinator came in and said you know, all the right things, and was clearly the guy, he wanted to play a 3-4, I, I don't think John would probably stand in his way, but I think the connections he has, the guys he's bringing in, all kind of speak the same language he does as far as being a 4-3 kind of guy. Yeah, they don't have the personnel for a 3-4, I don't think. Like, they already have an issue. You know, they don't have enough pass rushers for that, I don't think, or, or linebackers with that kind of positional flexibility. He's not offensive coordinator. He's the head coach. What do you mean? Why does, why does he care about the defensive scheme? Like, it's at the the worst score in defense in franchise history, so I would hope he's concerned about, you know, that side of the ball. He did say he, he had a little bit of flexibility when it came to, you know, if somebody has a more multi- multiple defense where they operate out of a 4-3 a base, but they kind of mix in some 3-4 principles and certain packages and, and kind of mix it up a little bit. So I don't think he's like, it's not cemented in stone that they have to be a 4-3 every snap. But, you know, like Vic said, um, you know, that's his preference and, and that's really what their personnel is built for. They're already starting from the bottom, trying to work up on the defense. And I think changing your front is such a drastic thing that like this isn't Madden you know like like that would take a couple more years like I think that might set them back to try to make that kind of a major switch now Ted you wrote on Thursday that you thought that you know with Cleveland Furl Max Crosby that they did have a little more versatility to be able to switch to a 3-4 if they wanted to go that route the modern 3-4 is not the traditional old 3-4 where you're looking for three two gappers and an interior to defense. I think Cleveland Farrell actually would be a better interior defensive lineman in the 3-4 playing the four tech than he is as a base end. And I think Jonathan Hankins could play the nose. I think Maurice Hurst could play a four tech on the opposite side as well. Max Crosby, you know, his issue is always weight. And if he moves outside linebacker uh, as a rush linebacker in a 3-4, that weight issue becomes uh, a little less of an issue. And Nick Kwiatkowski and Corey Littleton both played in a 3-4 before they signed with the Raiders. So I I don't think a transition would be too difficult. I think most of the time you're in your nickel defense in a 4-2 base anyways. So I I think you should just hire the best defensive coordinator you can and let him do what he wants. I don't think he should be married to a 4-3. And I, I think, you know, as far as the modern defense, they're moving towards odd fronts because of all the versatility that odd front gives you the other factor with it is um it's kind of looking like I mean, unless something drastic happens in the country like this offseason is going to be pretty similar to last season in terms of the restrictions with covid and kind of what they're able to do and so that's something else that will make switching you know a different front pretty difficult if you have to do all that virtually with the young guys they have and the way that those guys kind of struggle to pick up a more complex system. I just, I don't know. I don't see it going well. Like, I don't think the defense is going to be great next season anyway, but I don't know. I feel like it'd be like a really tall task to ask for a bunch of those guys. All right. I'm going to combine a couple questions here. They're both on the backup running back position. Uh, James C. Do you see the Raiders upgrading the backup running back position? Would love to see them have the league's best one two punch. And then JCT says he loves Jalen Richard and the Raiders seem to as well by re-signing him last offseason. But with the cap being the way it is, could we see a Riddick for Richard swap? Yes, I realize Riddick only had one productive game. Richard's role really kind of diminishes here and um, he's under contract for next season, but at three and a half million with no dead cap, 
I don't know that they uh, I don't know that they'll see a ton of value in keeping him at that price, considering the role that they gave him this season. I mean, I wouldn't hate running it back with Devontae Booker. I mean, I thought he was a pretty darn good backup running back for them. Yeah, I, I think as far as the priority list that the Raiders have to address, running back isn't very high. You know, they were able to get Devontae Booker you know, out of nowhere, and he, he was productive as a, as a second back. And I, I think Theo Reddick showed that he can handle that third down specialist if they decide to move on from Richard. But, you know, running back is just a position that you could find, you know, in the later rounds. You could find an undrafted guy. You could find a retread guy. The Raiders would be pretty happy if Booker did come back. I agree that the running back's kind of a low priority. I think you can find those guys, you know, at the end of the draft or late free agency. I think um, I'm not sure Booker's back because you probably would want a little more money, and I'm not sure that, that makes a lot of sense, but given the market, I think um, Jalen Richard, I know John's a big fan of his, and I think he's really great in pass protection. I think he's one of those guys you like to have around. He can do different things. Uh, they really pay him that money, so I don't see why he wouldn't do it again. I think. Um, Looking back at that, that big Jets win, I mean, people don't talk about his block in that last play. Was he came across the face and made a great block and a blitz pickup. So I think he's a guy you want around. I think he's definitely a good team guy and a kind of a veteran, nice no, veteran now, a veteran leadership kind of guy. So uh, I would think General Rashad's probably back, but I mean, who knows? All right, final question uh, from Justin O. It's a two-parter, and one of them we've already kind of largely discussed. It says, odds on Trent Brown returning next year and a long shot. Any chance Tyrell Williams is back if Aguilar prices himself out of doing so? What do you guys think? I mean, I I think the only way Williams would be back would be maybe under a restructure, but I, I think that's probably a long shot. I agree. I think that um, I, he, he wasn't available. I mean, I think they, and they kind of struggled last year to bring him back. I think there was some offense about the $11 million option last season, and they, they took it, and obviously it did not work out well. So I can't imagine he's back. I think they probably want to move on and, and – Unless you took a much smaller, smaller deal. So, um, as far as Trent, I've gone back and forth all year long. I think, um, I think if there's any, any it was at this year's salary, I think he'd definitely be gone. But like Deshaun mentioned, fourteen million now is we just say it, but it's kind of a bargain, I guess, kind of a good deal. So, I think that'll be a decision they make at the, at the last minute. They kind of going back and forth, and I think um, you weigh, you know, the potential versus the production in the last two years, and it's definitely a, a tough call. Yeah, I can't see Tyrell Williams coming back at that price tag. I, I think if they do decide to bring one of the receivers back, obviously it would be Aguilar, and they're going to have to pay him more than $1 million. And if they cut Tyrell Williams, that's going to clear up some space to be able to offer Aguilar a fair contract. I'm thinking they're going to bring back Brown and then Williams. I don't think there's a chance. And even with Aguilar, like if he gets an annual like eight-figure salary, like I'm not. I don't think I would do it for Aguilar. You know, if, if you're gonna like, they have so many needs on the defensive side of the ball at all three levels. Well, not not so much at I guess at linebacker, but you know, if they lose Moreau, they'll need to replace him with somebody either through the draft or free agency. But you know, if you're gonna spend eight figures on a wide receiver, then you might as well make a run at the guys like Allen Robinson. Obviously, that'd be more expensive, but he's somebody that I think is a true number one receiver. And probably wants to get away from Chicago. You know, obviously they, you know, they're they're still, you know, high on Edwards and Ruggs. Um, but I think Ruggs, even if he does his potential, he's like a really good number two in a Z receiver spot. And Brian Edwards might be more of like a complimentary, you know, X when you want to go a little bit bigger than than the starting, you know, somebody you want to be in your starting receiver. So 
you know, if they're going to spend big money on a receiver, I would rather go try to get somebody like, you know, Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin or Kenny Galladay or one of those elite kind of guys. You don't want Vic's team MVP? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I think about eight million, eight, nine million is probably about the most I'd want to go there. I mean, it's one of those deals where like you could easily see like this end up being the best season of his career. And I mean, we'll see. We'll see what he develops into next year. I mean. But, I mean, he was he was productive for the Raiders, especially for the price tag. So uh, you can't complain. But all right, guys, um, I think that'll wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. We're in offseason mode. Playoffs will go on without us. And, you know, certainly uh, as Raiders news comes up throughout the offseason, we'll be uh, we'll be able to pop on and uh, and talk about it um, when free agency gets underway, the combine, all that Um you know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, hey, when they hire a defensive coordinator, that'll probably be a decent enough reason to uh, to hop back on and, and discuss the new hire there by John Gruden. And he says he wants to move quick. So uh, we could expect a decision, I think, maybe in the next week or so and uh, a hire here pretty soon. He, he doesn't want to wait a whole long, a lot amount of time. I mean, if we know Raheem Morris and, and Gus Bradley and Joe Barrier, some of the guys he's looking at. Uh, you know, and so we'll see what, what happens there in that hiring process. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. All year. Get some caramel corn. Talk to you guys soon. Adios. I think there's a little bit of a warm sensation on his bum right now, probably, I think. 